Boss Uncaged is a weekly podcast that releases the origin stories of business owners and entrepreneurs as they become uncaged trailblazers. In each episode, our hosts, S.A. Grant and guests construct narrative accounts of their collective business journeys and growth strategies. Learn key success habits and how to stay motivated through failure, all while developing a boss uncaged mindset. Break out of your cage and welcome our host, S.A. Grant. Welcome, welcome back to Boss and Cage Podcast. Today's show, like the story behind today's show is definitely interesting. I mean, like uh, reading this guy's bio, it, it was pretty interesting and in, like how, how this company got formatted and how they got started. And, you know, not every day you have someone that's sitting in front of you that actually survived going to court, <laughs> first of all. Second of all, going to court, being sued for um, trademark stuff. So when you kind of come out on top, especially when you're dealing with like a, a large corporation versus a little guy, it's definitely a breath of fresh air to have this individual on our show today. Um, so I'm going to deem him, I was going to originally deem him the, the horologist boss. And I was like figuring that, you know, some people may know what that is. Some people may not know what that is. So I would like to make it a little bit easier to comprehend. We're going to call him the timeless boss. RT, the floor is yours. Why don't you tell our audience a little bit about who you are and what we're talking about today? Well, thanks for the intro essay. I, I was actually timeless and I realized that when we started, I wasn't wearing a watch. So I just put one on. <laughs> yes, um, yes. I, I love dad jokes. Uh, first and foremost, I'm a dad, father of two little guys. Um, and yeah, lucky enough to have a, um, a couple of awesome companies that I get to run, a great team supporting me. And um, my foundational story was um, my friend Tyler and I started Vortic Watch Company in college when we were at Penn State um, in 2011. We had the idea launched on Kickstarter in 2014, was sued by the world's largest watch company, the Swatch Group, about six months in. Survived. Long story short, six-year legal battle, and here we are today. Long story short, we salvage and restore antique American pocket watches and turn them into one-of-a-kind wristwatches. Nice, nice. And I mean, just, just hearing that, I mean, obviously, like, the fact that I, I want to know which one of you guys were like, were you guys just walking down the street one day and you picked up, like, well, like a, a watch or was it like an old grandfather's watch? Like, how the hell did you come up with the concept to convert a pocket watch into a wristwatch? Great question. So, um it's it's a bit of a longer story, but to make it as short as I can, um, we we had a bunch of ideas on the golf course one day after class in college, um, and we took a, all these ideas to our you know like the the faculty, our our, our um, professors, um, asked a bunch of questions. We're working on some crazy idea that that dealt with watches more in like the wristband side. We're engineers, we're not watchmakers, and so we were just trying to figure out like, okay, what, what kind of products could we make all this stuff? And um, at a certain point we were like, okay, if we're going to build a watch brand and we're going to make a watch company, could we make it in America? You know, let's, this was like 2013 when the idea was like really coming about made in America is really popular right now, but it was super popular and like top of mind for everyone back then. And so we were like, all right, can we make it in USA, right? Most watches are made in China or Switzerland at this point. So is that even possible? Went down that road and stumbled upon the history of what we call the great American watch companies. And if you didn't know, about 100 years ago, we were the Switzerland of the world. The Northeast of America was covered in watch manufacturing companies. And they made this, they made pocket watches back then. So between 1850 and 1950 or so, over 100 million pocket watches were manufactured in the US. And today, so fast forward to like the crash of 2008, 
Um, most pocket watches are gold and silver. The case is gold or silver. And so pocket watches don't have much use anymore. They get scrapped by pawn shops and estate buyers for the precious metal that's around them, leaving the inside what we call the piece of American history, all the guts that tell time, like the gears and springs and the face of it. Um, the inside is trash. And so we created this business called Vortec Watch Company to take trash to treasure and um, preserve American history one watch at a time. And that's why we say, you know, we turn an antique American pocket watch into a wristwatch. Yeah. So we take this and we make it into this and we build the case and the crown and the hardware uh -huh. around that old pocket watch internals to save it and give it a second shot at life. Nice. I, I, so it makes perfect sense. I mean, I think I was watching a video and you were deeming the pocket watches to be orphan watches. So like you're finding their their new life, you're finding their new parents and you're collaborating and you're rebuilding them and you're giving them new life, like you said. So that's definitely awesome. I mean, you're repurposing American history. So w with that, I mean, let's talk about a thing you said back in 2012. So 2014 is when you kind of did the Kickstarter. So how did that come to fruition? Yeah, absolutely. So we we basically... I mean, we couldn't figure out how to get funding initially. Uh, we, we didn't know where to start. And so uh, Kickstarter was also really popular back then. People still use it today, but like in 2014, it was super hot. Everyone was just learning about it. People were excited. People were putting money into it all, all, all over the world. And so we said, all right, well, let's, let's put our minimum viable product on Kickstarter and see what people think. And if it works, we'll make this watch, you know? And so we 3D printed an example of, of what we do, uh, printed it on um, at, at our house, you know, just the, the case and everything like that. We found the old pocket watch internals and we um, showed our Kickstarter followers and just, you know, basically anyone that cared <laughs> um, what the minimum viable product was. And we said, hey, our journey is to try to take an old pocket watch and turn it into a wristwatch. Let us know if you like it. We set our goal at $10,000 because at that time we were right out of college. We thought 10 grand was a lot of money. And we ended up making uh, about 41,000 in our first um, 30 days on Kickstarter. And we used that as minimum viable product, product market fit, um, got a lot of you know, feedback from uh, would-be customers to say, hey, this is really cool, but like if you change this, this, and this, I would totally buy it. P.S. If you did that, I would probably pay two or three times as much for it. Like I feel like you're not charging enough. And we heard that and still hear that today, thankfully. Um, and just got a ton of feedback from Kickstarter that we used to go build our business plan and our pitch deck and go raise um, hundreds of thousands of dollars that ended up taking to, to actually start the company and make the product, um, which was then really our 2015 journey of figuring out how to make it um, in order to ship those first few products. Nice, nice. So I think you're definitely living up to to your your, your subtitling, right? About being not not assembled, but being American built, right? So I mean, you you kind of go in the grassroots way, and it's kind of like you tested the market and then, then you're relaunching it again. Right. So like this, let's dive into like you a little bit. Right. So I think your partner's name is Tyler. So there's Tyler and then there's RT. So if you can kind of define yourself in three to five words, what would those three to five words be? Gosh, that's a great question. Um, I am a, an entrepreneur storyteller and I 
<laughs> what's in my head is get it doneer. <laughs> we we nice. like to say uh, we like to say um, we'll figure it out. Um, that was Tyler's and my like story, and we just joked about it the other day. We're building a new building downtown, and we're uh, um, in our conference room. We're, we're thinking about just putting like we'll figure it out, big neon sign at the top because that's been our whole motto for this whole time. Um, but yeah, I, I would say that's I. I'm first and foremost an entrepreneur. I'm I'm a I would say lifestyle entrepreneur in the terms of like um uh multi-passionate is probably a good way to say I have multiple companies. I think I'm up to six or eight LLCs at this point for myself. And I just keep having crazy ideas all the time and I keep saying yes to myself and just doing it. Um and I keep finding great people to help me figure out how to do it. Wow. Um and and that it goes back to that like we'll figure it out kind of concept that Tyler and I set out on is um, you know, when we have a good idea, like taking a pocket watch and turning a wristwatch. A lot of stuff has to happen between the idea and the concept, um, but we figured it out and we we totally can. Um, and then add to that the the marketing side. I, I also have a marketing agency called Carter and Custer, and we um, we're storytellers. You know, that's really my passion. Um, when you go nature versus nurture, I think by nature I'm an entrepreneur. I was born that way. Um, I can't get out of it. But nurture, my my parents, both of my parents were were ad men um, and ad women, right? My, my mom and dad both worked for huge advertising agencies their whole careers. And so I grew up watching the Super Bowl for the advertisements, not for the game. Um, and so I just love advertising. I love marketing. I love story-based advertising. Basically, I love selling without selling. You tell a story, and by the time you finish the story, the customer wants to buy whatever you put in front of them. <laughs> um, and you didn't even tell them how much it costs. So that's me. Very true. Very true. So, I mean, going off of that, that storytelling thing, I mean, I want you to kind of talk about the story about the railroad grade pocket watches and the safety mechanism. Like, I think you told a really great story about how that came to be and how you guys had to overcome like that safety mechanism. And then you created a whole new product by figuring out how to solve that problem. Yeah. Awesome question. Um, and I don't, I don't talk about this much except when we're talking about that, uh, that product, which we call the railroad edition. Um, so most pocket watches are set with the crown. It's called pendant set. So the crown at the top of the watch, you just pull the crown out. It has a little click and then you pop it back in. And when you pull it out, you can change the time. And when you pop it back in, it's locked in and it's, it's just taken away on the railroad pocket watches the crown doesn't articulate. You can't move the crown. Um, you actually have to take the entire front glass off of the pocket watch. And then there's a little lever typically up near like one or two o'clock um, on the face of the watch. And once you get the whole front of the watch off, you can pull that lever. And when the lever's out, and only when that lever is out, can you change the time. Wow. And that was because, you know, if you think about a pocket watch, and the crown being up here at the top, if I am a conductor or an engineer in the year 1901, when there is literally no other way to tell what time it is than this thing that I'm holding right now as my pocket watch, and I put it in my pocket after I'm done using it, um, I, I have to make sure I don't accidentally pull the crown to change the time. Otherwise, I'm SOL. <laughs> and so... 
that was, like you said, it's a safety mechanism so that the conductor, the engineer never changed the time. And that became this massive undertaking that took Tyler, who does all of our R&D, I mean, three and a half years of testing and trying and developments. We probably had 12 or 13 different iterations of prototypes to figure out how do we let the consumer of our product, you know, turning that pocket watch into a wristwatch, still access the lever without, um, you know, any issues. Like it still needs to be water resistant. It still needs to be shock resistant, dust proof. Um, And so that became this whole ordeal. And we invented several different ways to solve that problem that we call the railroad edition. And it basically just gives the, the end user now today um, easier access to that lever. And we even um, made a modern version of that lever to just make the little lip on it a little um, easier to grab um, so that you can change the time. And what that does is it ends up with this awesome railroad pocket watch turned into a wristwatch. Um, and the, the railroad history of America is, is why a lot of people buy the watches that we make. Yeah, it's very, it's very cool. I mean, like, it goes back to what you're saying. You're a storyteller, so you're, you're telling the story. So I want the listener that you can actually picture, like this old time watch being completely dismantled and reassembled into something that's that's brilliant and also it's more contemporary as well. So I mean, with that, I mean, obviously that was one of the hurdles that you guys had to overcome. Let's talk about like the elephant in, in the room as far as like that trademark issue that you guys had with the, the Swatch Company. So like, how did that like happen? Did you guys get like a cease and desist letter? Did you get like a phone call? I mean, obviously there's something that you don't want to happen as an entrepreneur but obviously in your journey not only did it happen but you guys kicked it in his ass and conquered it let's talk about that thank you so um so we launched on kickstarter in november of 2014 and we got a cease and desist by the world's largest watch conglomerate called the swatch group um in i think july of 2015 which was um, about six months before we had even shipped a single watch. So a lot of lawsuits like patent and trademark, they come from like, you know, you launch a product, you ship thousands or tens of thousands of units all around the world. And then you realize like, ah, we stepped on somebody's toes. Somebody realized it. Somebody bought our product and they own something to do with it already. We messed up. Didn't happen to us. We hardly existed. (laughs) Um, We put an advertisement In the May-June issue of Watch Time Magazine, which is the largest U.S.-based wristwatch industry magazine, Um, and it was our, like, you know, um, coming out to the world as, like, we have a watch company, and we are not watchmakers, we're engineers, we're turning pocket watches into wristwatches, and we just launched on Kickstarter, here's a Photoshop rendering of what our products look like, Um, here's what we do, contact a watchmaker at Vortec today was at the bottom. Um, Someone in the Swatch group, which had, you know, tens of thousands of of employees, someone saw that ad and saw that it said Hamilton on the face of the watch. And that's the issue. So the, we, we created this rendering of what our products look like. There's 10 great American watch companies that made these pockets a hundred years ago, Elgin, Waltham, Illinois, Ball, there's just really cool old, you know, American watch company names. One of them 
is Hamilton. The Hamilton Watch Company was started in the mid 1800s um, and lasted until the or the late 1800s and lasted until the mid 1900s. And they were in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and they made some of the highest quality pocket watches. And they said Hamilton right on the face of the watch. Yeah. We're taking a pocket watch, turning it a wristwatch. We're keeping it all original. Like I said, our mission is to preserve American history. So we're not changing what it says on the face of the watch. But the Swatch Group today owns the trademark on the name Hamilton because when Hamilton went out of business in like the late 60s, the company that owned Swatch Group um, purchased all the assets, including the trademark. Um, we didn't know that. We had no idea what any of that meant <laughs> at that time. Um, and we learned after we got the cease and desist that this was what most people in the legal side of things call an interesting case. And I had a federal judge tell me one time, um, you do not want to be the defendant in an interesting case. Because what that means is there's not enough law built around the subject of, in our case, upcycling, you know, turning a pocket watch into a wristwatch. Nobody's been sued over anything like that before. And that means if there's not enough legal decisions made in the industry that you're in, we got to see it through all the way so we can have the knowledge into the legal system um, so that future decisions can get made in a better way. And while that's fascinating, again, you don't want to be me and Tyler in that situation because it took about six years for us to prove our innocence and basically just prove that we were never doing anything wrong. We were just taking a pocket watch and turning a wristwatch. In no way were we counterfeiting, which is what they accused us of, which means that they were saying that we were putting the name Hamilton on the watch. You and I know as we're talking, we're not doing that. It's all original. It's 100 years old. It just happens to say Hamilton already. Um, they also accused us of trademark infringement, which is basically using someone else's name to go make money. That wasn't our purpose at all. We we're preserving American history. Yes, it had someone else's name on it. Yes, it was their trademark but it's kind of irrelevant. It's our entire business model. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, like I said, it unfortunately took us about six years of back and forth and different legal battles to um, prove everything I just said. Wow. Yeah. I'm just listening to, it. I mean, it, it's, you know, hopefully entrepreneurs don't have to go through this, but again, it's a real thing that, that definitely happens and you guys kind of tackled it. And it's, it's again, the, the key word you use upcycling. Upcycling is one of these things that potentially has been around forever, but now it has a name. It's been branded. So like now mm -hmm. they're going to have to kind of figure out the legalities of that. So like this, this time travel back, right? I mean, like, you know, a lot about watches. You're like I'm, I'm listening to you and you sound like, like a historian, right? Like, I mean, you're telling us facts, you're telling us dates, you're telling us names. Like what kind of kid were you? Were you the kid that was memorizing the almanac or were you a kid that was out there on a soccer team? Like, which one were you, man? Um, neither. <laughs> um, I was a farm boy. Uh, I, I am the fourth generation um, of DeLong Christmas tree farm. Um, so my, my great grandfather um, started a Christmas tree farm in uh, Redding, outside of Redding, Pennsylvania wow. in 1941. Um, I am an only child. And so I inherited that farm. And my childhood was basically preparing me to take over the farm someday um, and trying to make me the best potential entrepreneur slash small business owner um, that that my family could make me. Um, and that Christmas tree farm was our family's side hustle for decades. I mean, most of its life, um, mostly because Christmas tree farms, especially only about 40 acres, which is what we had, 
um, they just can't make enough money for a whole family to live off of. Um, especially in the like early 2000s when everyone and their mother was selling Christmas trees, Walmart, Home Depot, and you could get a Christmas tree for 25 bucks. You know, now you can buy them at Whole Foods. <laughs> so, um, so that industry was starting to die away, at least the small business side of it um, during my childhood, which was, I mean, a, a formative experience, right? I mean, my, my parents were, were, my parents and grandparents were kind of grooming me to take over the farm. Um, I loved Legos to, to try to answer your question in, in that way. Like I, I've always been like a little nerdy in terms of like, I, I just want to understand how things work. Um, I really like how, learning how things are made. Um, and so Legos were always my thing. My, like I said, my parents were in advertising. And so um, they always bought things based on the packaging and the story behind it. And they told me that as they purchased it, which was really cool. Um, and then we, uh, my parents thought I would want to be an architect um, when I was in like middle school because I was building stuff with Legos and, you know, I would, I would build the thing that it said on the box and then I would rip it apart and I would build something random. And so from architecture, I went into engineering and I studied industrial engineering at Penn state and got more into supply chain and I ended up working for Walmart and logistics right out of school. Um, But that was, that was my journey to become an engineer. And it was all rooted in like, how could my parents and grandparents prepare me to, be the the heir of our family Christmas tree farm. Hmm. Wow, I'm just listening listening to you speaking, and 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 usually when I have like partnerships like this, I usually find like the opposite common denominator. Like one person is highly creative, and the other person is highly analytical. But it kind of seems like like you and Tyler are on the same wavelength. I mean, I think Tyler's more in in like the machining side of things, but obviously you're you're a big engineer as well too, and maybe you're more on the creative side. So let's talk about like that partnership. I mean partnerships are not easy. They're like marriages. So how has that worked? Have you guys bumped heads or are you guys more so on the same wavelength majority of the time? Yeah. Awesome question. Thank you. Um, it is a partnership. A business partnership is exactly like a marriage. Um, and, you know, now that I'm, I'm part of multiple partnerships, <laughs> I can, I can share that in absolute transparency. It's exactly the same. Um, and the, the underlying thing that makes partnerships fail is, is lack of communication. Mm-hmm. And so, um, Tyler and I over a decade of knowing each other now have just now figured out how to properly communicate with each other. <laughs> and and hopefully that answers your question because the true answer is it's a freaking roller coaster and it was and has been and still is. Um and thankfully we're on an upslope right now and and it's easy and you know everything is going really well but it definitely wasn't always like that. Um Tyler studied math in college. He did not finish college. Um and he you know he went through a phase where he was, uh, I guess, like thought that maybe that spoke negatively towards him in some way. Um, but he poured himself into learning CNC machining or taking a chunk of metal and turning it into whatever crazy idea he and I had. And he taught himself how to use the CNC machines that we have now on YouTube. Um, and currently he runs... 
I mean, it's going to be like $1.5 million of equipment this year. That's completely under his purview that he taught himself how to use on YouTube without and like he didn't need to go to college. And he's making more now than than anyone with a, a, a math degree, apologies, would make out of out of school. Um, and that came from a lot of conversation between me and him of like, yeah, okay, I studied engineering. So maybe I should be on the R&D and building the products. But he was just a lot more passionate about that stuff. And he loved that stuff. I was a lot more passionate about marketing and sales and building the website and talking to customers and going to trade shows and all that kind of stuff. And he wasn't, he didn't want to talk to the customer as much as I did. And so it all, our partnership kind of started on that conversation of like, all right, you do this, I do this. Similar thing with the lawsuit where we got hit with this massive lawsuit and I don't remember the conversation and it might not have happened, but at some point we decided, Hey, I'm going to focus on the lawsuit and I'm going to protect us from this massive corporate bully that's coming after us. And you Tyler are going to like stay home and fight the home front battle and build the watches so that we can keep selling watches so that we can afford <laughs> to defend ourselves legally and so we, as a true partnership, we were, we were almost ships in the night, you know, as they say, for a long time, just kind of doing our own thing because we had to, we had to divide and conquer and had to figure that out. And then that created this other side of the roller coaster because once we bridged that gap and we got closer to finishing the lawsuit and we got better at making the products, then we started butting heads again of like, okay, what are we doing next? How are we going to grow the company? What's the next step? And we had to have a lot of hard conversations about what those next steps are. Um, and those conversations led to a lot of growth, personal and professional. And I can say right now, like we're in the best spot we've ever been as a partnership, as a company, and just as humans individually. Nice, nice. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I mean, like when you're talking about marketing, I can see like you're glowing, you're lighting up. And when I think about Tyler, I see him hugging a machine completely happy <laughs> when a new machine comes in. And I and like this, and I haven't spoken to him, but I, I just get that vibe from both of you guys. Like that, that's, right, that's right. the way that it runs. So let, let's talk about like, you know, the perception of overnight success. Cause like now your company is growing, it's prosperous. You guys are in a scaling mode, you're heading towards the moon. And now your name is probably popping up left and right everywhere. So the perception of a regular person is like, who, who, they just pop out of nowhere. But in reality, how long have you guys been on the, on this, this, this path to where you are right now? Yeah. Um, what do they say? Gradually. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's, that's, that's really, that's really what it feels like is, um, you know, we, I think we started to put our name on the map um, when the big, um, the big news and that we got a bunch of press about um, the lawsuit you know, we were we were on national television for over six minutes, um, twice now about that lawsuit. Um, we've been in, you know, I was the centerfold of Entrepreneur Magazine, you know, about a year ago. Like that, you're right. Uh, someone's perception. A lot of people heard about us in the last year and a half or so because of either this lawsuit or how we handled it or you know, me doing podcast tours like this, right? Just like a more focused, like, hey, let's go tell people we exist now. Um, but I mean, we started the journey on Kickstarter in 2014. You know, that's eight years ago. Um, it feels like it was yesterday. And it also feels like it was decades ago at the same time. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's it definitely not necessarily and in no way is like an overnight success. Um, 
but I would, I would call it, um, it took us probably five years of doing what we do in turning pocket watches into wristwatches just to figure out how to best solve that problem and best build a business around just that. And then that kind of let me go in terms of like, okay, we got it figured out. We can scale this a little bit more. So now I can go talk about it more. Now I can go market it more. Now I can put more money into advertising. Um, and, and then obviously with, with PR and, and the lawsuit, we, we had a kind of a, a nice inflection point um, with a bunch, of, a bunch of great stories coming out about us. Um, and now things like marketing just kind of come easy because we have so many of these foundational stories that we can go back to. And um, we have so much credibility built with our customers. And we have probably almost, we're, we're probably approaching 2,000 watches um, out in the world now. And so we have 2,000 cheerleaders, you know, out there talking about us all the time. Um, and, and that takes a while. It's an exponential curve uh, to get there. Wow. Wow. So, I mean, from what I'm getting, it's kind of like there's pros and cons to getting a lawsuit. But being that it was essentially Big Brother, you kind of want to give them a high five and say thanks for the support because that's what they ended up doing, right? They ended up supporting your whole marketing budget without mm -hmm. having to have a marketing budget. You just had to more so focus on the legal aspects. But then, again, that 15 minutes of fame could be utilized for your, your company story forever. You're 100% right. And that's the way, you know, I'm... I, I like when when other entrepreneurs talk about um, removing negativity from your life. Um, you have to forcefully do it. And stories like that, you know, about a massive lawsuit that costs us six figures that all but ruined my life and took our business away from us. Um, I could think back and think like, oh my gosh, that was such a huge waste of money, such a massive waste of time. I had some of the hardest conversations because of that. I could think, why me? Why me? You know, why did this happen to me? All that stuff. Or I could think about it like you just said, and I invested about $100,000 into a legal battle that has made us seven figures worth of marketing and PR. Just being on national television for six minutes would have cost three or 400 grand. Yeah. So I try to spin it and make it a positive thing and talk about it in a positive way for multiple reasons. Um, one being what I just said, and two, it's just, it's easier to stay positive in my head and look forward rather than backwards. So, I mean, with that, right, I mean, we're talking about like, the pros and cons and uh, I've deemed you the timeless boss. So let's say you could turn over your wrist, you could dial into a particular time within the last 10, 20 years, and you can go back to that time frame for maybe five minutes and talk to yourself. First of all, when would you go back to and what would you say to yourself to make you be where you are to make it happen a lot faster? Um, gosh, I would, I would try to dial into like the 2016 range where I was first raising money. Um, we were raising, I think in 2016, 2017, I raised five or $600,000 in uh, equity round of financing for the company. And, um, we were at that time, we were trying to figure out how to scale what we do right now in a massive way and say like, all right, we take pocket watches and wristwatches. It's really, really hard to do what we do, but we have some plans. We're going to figure it out and we're going to get to three or 4,000 watches a year. 
and we're going to sell them for $1,500 to $2,000 a piece. And we're going to make millions of dollars. And it's going to be awesome. And that was the plan. Um, and we had all these other, you know, side products and all these other things we were doing. I wish I could dial back into that time and sit, sit myself and Tyler down and say, guys, that's cute that you want to scale this business, but this is an unscalable business. Just make a few hundred watches a year, charge four times what you're charging right now, and then build another business that's a lot more scalable right alongside, like a sister company or something. And fast forward to today, that's what we're doing today. <laughs> because we realized after almost eight years of trying to figure this out, that it's really hard to take a pocket watch from 100 years ago and turn it into a wristwatch. And so we're just going to own that be the best in the world at it, make 400 watches a year, charge 5,000 or so dollars a piece for them. And that's it. And it's just a buy it or don't customer. Like this is, there's 400. So you're lucky to get one. And that's the like vibe that we're trying to give off now as a company. And I'll tell you what, it's working better than anything else we've ever done um, for a number of reasons. But just because we kind of swallowed our pride and said, you know what? This is very hard to scale. So let's just not scale it. Let's just be the best at it. Uh -huh. Let's make one watch a day. And that's what we do. We come out with one new one of a kind watch every single day. Wow. And when it's sold, it's gone. It posts on our website at 12 noon mountain time. And typically they sell in minutes. Um, and that's such a beautiful business model and no one else can do it. And no one else even does the pocket watch to wrist watch thing, period. So that's really cool. And then Tyler and I are building another company that we're going to announce later this year. We, we have a whole YouTube show that we're like documenting. We call it Custer and Wolf Building a Watch Company. And we're documenting every single piece of growing a new company that's much more scalable, that we can sell thousands of units. If you're familiar with Shinola, they're America's largest watch company um, currently, um, but not for long. We're going to take them on, right? Like that's the plan. Um, and we couldn't do that with our original business model. And so I wish I had been on the journey I am today five years ago that's what i was saying nice i think like that was a, a solid segue because you know i mean you talked about being in supply chain and, and working for for like one of the big the big um manufacturers per se right i was wondering like okay supply and demand like eventually these watches potentially could run out because they're not creating any more so you kind of answered that question i mean that, that and again i want to kind of figure out like if you did not go down the road to say branch out and make a more of a manufacturing play how were you going to be sustainable with the limited amount of pocket watches in the world yep yeah and that's you know i think i i think i answered most most of that but i would add just that um since there was a hundred million pocket watches made a hundred years ago even if one percent of them still exist, yep. which is low, like it's much more than that. But even if one percent of them still exist, that means we have a million pocket watches to work from. And if we only make three to four hundred watches a year, um, we'll at least have plenty for my lifetime. And that's about as far ahead as I can possibly think. <laughs> you know, hopefully, uh, my sons or Tyler's kids want to take over Vortic Watch Company someday. Um, but you can't plan for that. Um, so we're just looking five to 10 years into the future. And uh, we have enough pocket watches that we can make the best of the best of them into wristwatches. Um, for the foreseeable future. Um, and we're we're just going to keep doing that. And, you know, just that's Vortec Watch Company as it stands right now. We're not going to touch it. I keep saying to the whole team, and Tyler does too, don't turn any knobs. Don't switch any levers. If you don't know what it does, don't touch it. 
everything's working <laughs> and we got to keep this thing going. We built a machine and it's awesome. And then we're going to build a whole second company alongside of it that we call a sister company, um, basically building our own little parent company like Swatch Group. Um, shout out to them. Thanks for the inspiration. Um, and, and we're going to have our own, you know, um, conglomerate as it were, but starting small and building a separate company in order to achieve that growth. Nice. Nice. So I think a couple of things you brought up, you brought up legacy a couple of different times, you know, coming from the farm being, you know, given to you. And then now you're talking about potentially your kids and Tyler's kids picking up this new farm of watches moving forward. So like, how do you guys currently you know, I mean, I think your parents are also in, in advertising as well, right? So they were like, you said, mad men, mad women. That, that's, a, that's a different state of mind versus where you are right now. So I want to talk about like your family life and your current work life. Like what's that work-life balance looking like for you currently? Yeah, so one of my friends, uh, his name's Kyle Depius. He wrote a, a book called Guys Trip. Um, he does these really cool trips for guys that you might imagine that's what he does. Um, and we, he talks about that a lot in terms of work-life balance, but he calls it work-life integration. Um, and I like that way of looking at it because um, to be transparent, I have zero balance. <laughs> There's no balance going on over here. Um, and I wouldn't have it any other way. So um, my partner, uh, her name is Lindsay. We have two little boys, um, Sawyer and Wesley. And um, she is also an entrepreneur. Um, and she understands me. <laughs> she understands that it's hard to turn my brain off and stop thinking about work. And, um, and just like we've talked about with Tyler and that partnership, um, she and I have have had our own little roller coaster going. And um, we've been through hell and back, you know, trying to trying to figure this out and figure out how to work with each other um, on a day to day basis. And, um, the biggest thing that's worked for me in, in that partnership and the partnership at home and trying to be a good dad, even though I want to work all the time, um, is just focus on everything I just said, right? Like if you keep the idea of balance, and like I said, I would say integration in your mind all the time, and you keep thinking about it and keep it top of mind, you know, you'll never forget it. So I, you know, I just posted a reel on Instagram uh, last night. Um, and I don't, I don't know if it'll, it'll show you here, but you know, my, my son Sawyer is, is right on the, the front of my lock screen on my phone, right? Like doing things like that to help you remember why you're doing all this stuff. Like, yeah, we can make a ton of money as entrepreneurs. That's great. We can surround ourselves with awesome humans helping us build these things. But what happens when you die? What if I get hit by a bus tomorrow? Like, my sons can take this company and run it. Like Tyler and I are building awesome systems mm -hmm. and Lindsay and I are building awesome, like family systems. We have a, a trust. We have all kinds of LLCs going on. We have living wills, you know, what happens if, if one of the planes I'm on all the time goes down, like we think about that stuff and it's hard to think about that stuff. It's hard to have those conversations, but if you keep it top of mind of like, why am I doing all this stuff? You'll be reminded to have those conversations and then you can set up consistent ways to force yourself to have those uh, conversations. One being uh, Lindsay and I do a date night every Friday night, no matter what. We get a babysitter, they watch the kids, and we go to dinner, and we talk about all the things we should have talked about the whole week. <laughs> um, sometimes we talk about nothing. Sometimes we talk about the show we're binging on Netflix. Um, and sometimes we have a hard conversation about money. 
you know, and everything in between. So, um, I don't know if that's helpful, but that's what we do and it works for us and it hasn't always worked for us. You know, it's a moving target. Um, but so far so good. Nice. Nice. So definitely interesting. I mean, it's, it's, it's like you have a plan. Like, I mean, that, that's what it really comes down to. You have a plan and then you're creating these processes and procedures to support that plan, no matter mm-hmm. what happens and whatever forks come up in the road. So that then leads me to like another question. Like, I mean, going back to you being like a farm raised kid, right? I mean, that means you're probably waking up four o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning. So like, what is your morning routines post farm life? <laughs> um, so right now, and for the last few years, you know, having little kids, um, the morning starts with absolute chaos. Um, and it's in the best way. <laughs> One of the boys comes running into the room and says, okay, mommy, daddy, I'm ready for breakfast. Um, and Sawyer did that this morning. He's like, mom, I got to poop. And also, um, I'd like eggs and toast for breakfast. And Lindsay's like, Oh, oh, yes, sir. I guess I'll get out of bed. And then um, our our um, youngest, Wesley, is just already screaming in his crib saying, Daddy, Daddy, come, you know, he wants the same thing, right? So um, I just want to acknowledge that I wish in some ways I could wake up, I could journal, I could sip a cup of coffee on the patio, watch the sunrise, but the parents out there, you know, that's not real. <laughs> um, so you wake up with that. And then, like you said, you have a plan. So I always have a plan to do at least some sort of structure. And so once we figure out that initial chaos, I start the plan, which always starts with the gym. So I go to the gym at least six days a week, even if it's just five minutes on a treadmill, um, just to get my mind right for the day. Sometimes it's an hour with a personal trainer and I'm lifting heavy and I'm, I'm trying to gain weight right now um, and just focused on that fitness journey. Um, but, you know, some days I just I just go so that I said I did it and I start my day off on a positive note of like, OK, I accomplished something today. I walked five minutes on the treadmill. Check. Thank you. Um, and then, you know, after that, um, after that, honestly, I rely on my calendar. Um, I, I have an amazing chief of staff who runs my life, runs my calendar. Her name's Bella. Um, and she just, she basically gives me my structure and my plan for the day. And we, we talk about it and we say like, okay, ideally no meetings before 10 a.m. So I can like do some focus work and stuff like that. And then I have a podcast interview like this or, you know, a few different meetings. Today, I ran a staff meeting, like an all team meeting uh, for our ad agency. Um, and then, you know, working on some projects for the rest of the day after this, uh, with Bella, just trying to get organized and catch up and deal with the hundred emails that I have. Um, and to, to answer your question though, it's all that morning routine starts with the fitness journey, making sure my mind's right, trying to eat right, trying to drink enough water, um, trying to get the right amount of caffeine. (laughs) That's a, that's a moving target too. Um, and then it just, I look at my calendar and I do what my calendar says, which has been a huge pro tip for me. Like every Sunday, I look at the calendar, I make sure it's right. I make sure I don't have any weird gaps. I make sure I can actually have enough time between my meetings to like recap and focus mm-hmm. and prep for the next one. Um, and then I optimize it accordingly. And that way, every morning when I wake up and I look at the calendar, I can just do what I'm told <laughs> and show up to the meetings. It's a lot less stress that way for me. 
Wow. Wow. I mean, just listening to you, I mean, it's, it's you're, you're eating and you're sleeping and you're breeding entrepreneurism through and through. So, I mean, I definitely uh, I lo- I love hearing that, first of all. Right. So I think one of the key things that you said was essentially like being focused and optimizing. And I think all of these different keywords that, that you're utilizing in, in this conversation, I would think that, you know, you're really studious as well, too. So are you reading any books or have you read any books in your early part of your career that kind of helped you to get to where you are currently? Yeah, great question. Um, I I have read a few books. I am not, um, I would not say that I'm well read by any means. Um, it's been a challenge put back on me by uh, some of my peers and some of my advisors and people I look up to is like, hey, you know, I, I just have so many things that I'm doing that I make excuses for myself as to why I don't have time to read. Um, but I live now about 20 minutes from our office building um, that's under construction right now. And when that stops, my my plan or when we have when we can move in, my plan is I'll have, you know, 40 minutes in the car every, you know, at least four days a week. Um, and so I plan to listen to more podcasts, listen to audiobooks, things like that. Um, when I am in the car, I am listening to audiobooks. And the most recent one um, that I'm in is um Money Master the Game by Tony Robbins. I'm about halfway through it. Super long book, but really worth it. It's it's all about investing your money wisely. Um, and that's kind of a, another journey I'm on right now is, okay, we're making money. What do I do with this money? <laughs> um, so, so that's the current journey. And that's why I'm reading that book. Um, in the past, though, the other question is really good one is um, the formative books. Um, Tyler and I read Building a Story Brand by Don Miller and Start With Why by Simon Sinek at the same time um, during the time that we were raising money for Vortic. And we used those two books to rebuild all of our marketing, all of our storytelling. Our homepage of our website is still the same as after we read those books. If you go to vorticwatches.com and you scroll down, you'll literally see the words, what we do, why we do it, and how to buy it. (laughs) And then there's a little description under it answering that question and a button so that you can go buy it. And that's all right at the top. Uh, Don Miller, I think, says above the fold. Um, and, and so we read those two books and start with why is huge, you know, for storytelling and just like people understanding not just what you do and how you do it, but why you do it. Um, and then building a story brand. I mean, I listened to his podcast and I'm just like a super fan of Don Miller. Like, you know, I think he even says it like he's not saying anything that nobody already kind of like knows. He's just putting it into a way that we can actually use that and um, build a story brand out of the companies and the brands that we have. Nice, nice. So one, one little quick tip about like the audiobooks. I'm like, I'm, I listen to audiobooks. I'm at the point now I listen to about maybe a book or two on average in 24 to 48 hours. Nice, cool. The speed of the books, man. If you t- turn that book to 1.5 or 2.0 speed, you will cut down on that time significantly. And believe it or not, your brain will just adapt to the speed really quickly and you'll get way more information a lot quicker. Some Somebody else told me that and I tried 1.5 speed with Tony Robbins' book and Tony Robbins' voice at 1.5 is intense. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Um, but in general, yes, I, I'm sure that works. Um, as soon as I think he read the first chapter and then it switched to another author, yep. author that was much easier to understand at 1.5. So um, that's, that's a solid pro tip because I do that. I've done that on my last, um, the last audio book. 
But now that I think about it, I was listening to everything on the slow speed before that. And so it's not like I wasted time, but now I'll remember. Thanks to you. <laughs> I appreciate cool, that. Cool, cool. So I'm going into like, like, like this time frame. I mean, we've talked about legacy. We talked about the kids. We talked about your morning routines, books that you're reading. So, I mean, you're on a scale of projection and you're about to create a whole sister company. So where do you ideally see this metropolis that you're building and developing 20 years from now? Um, you know, I, it's, it's hard for me to think past even 12 months from now. Um, and my, you know, my journey right now is, is trying to be as present as I possibly can. Um, and so this, this question is a good one. Um, it's just really hard for me to, to answer in the current state. Um, five years from now, I hope that, we have a little conglomerate going in terms of we have Vortec Watch Company, we have our new company coming, um, which will be called Mechanical Products. Um, and we'll probably have other brands that we've either acquired or merged with or partnered with along the way. Um, by, by the five-year mark, we really want to build a brand for Vortec that's like the the Orange County choppers of watches, you know, where like everything's filmed, everything, all the behind the scenes stuff is on video. Like um, people can see just everything that we are manufacturing. Like, I think that's really where manufacturing is going is transparency and integrity in manufacturing by literally showing people like, this is how we make it. And these are the humans that are making it. We're clearly not making it overseas and then trying to hide it. We're showing you what we do right here in Colorado. That's like the five-year plan. 20 years, well, let's see. Um, I'll be 51. Um, so hopefully I'll be semi-retired at that point. Um, my kids will be out of the house in college or whatever they decide to do um, at that point. Um, and my vision for like my retirement and i'm using this because like i'm just like my dad there's no way my dad my dad's kind of like trying to retire right now and it's funny because he he's just his company's like no you can't go anywhere come on um I, it's gonna be really hard for me to stop working and so my vision is uh to be an angel investor and own i don't know five or ten percent of 20 30 50 companies and just be able to have that as as my my group of like mentors that like I can do for them that what my mentors are currently doing for me and my investors currently do with me is just like you know hey I'm, I'm I put a couple hundred grand into your company you you can send me a monthly update if you want but just you know here's my calendly link or whatever happens 20 years from now who knows it'll probably be some kind of crazy thing that pops up on our google glass or whatever and and hit me up and i'll if you need my value i'll add it you know um and i'll help you through a, a thing that i've probably done or i've probably failed <laughs> and i can help you maybe not fail at that same thing um and and i think that's that's really what i see my life um morphing into is that like angel investor advisor kind of person um, the only other thing that I've strongly considered and I'm still considering, but has been interesting to watch recently is, um, getting into politics. Um, I, I feel a call, um, to serve my country, um, in some way. Um, and I, I, I'm not a, a military vet 
and but you know i i employ um uh, several and we we sponsor um a school for for watchmakers called the veterans watchmaker initiative um and so i i, I try to do a lot to support that um, my last name's custer i'm related to general custer so i love military history um, and all the stuff that went into that and you know, in politics, um, I, I sometimes think it'd be nice to go back to what used to happen in like the 17, 1800s when there weren't lifelong politicians and strong entrepreneurs and strong leaders were tapped on the shoulder and said, hey, you should be president. You'd be really good. Um, that I think would be life changing um, for for some people. Um, and if I feel that call when I'm that age, maybe I'll do it. Um, maybe I won't. <laughs> Probably depends on what's happening politically at that time, honestly. <laughs> but that's it. As well, right? Yeah. 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 Exactly. So I mean, that's that's really interesting. I mean, you're talking about veterans, you're talking about entrepreneurs, and you're talking about potentially politics, right? So who is your ideal avatar? I mean, obviously, I would think the politicians could afford to buy your watch. Maybe the veterans may have enough capital so i mean like who are you really creating these watches for and who's actually buying them yeah awesome question um i firmly believe and we don't have any statistics to back this up but i firmly believe that roughly 60 percent of vortic watch companies customers are entrepreneurs and small business owners um american entrepreneurs and small business owners we sell worldwide, but like 95% of our sales are within the continental United States. Um, and I think that has happened because Tyler and I share our story a lot. We've shared our story through lots of entrepreneurial outlets. A lot of the influencers that talk about us and Vortic um, are entrepreneurs like Mr. Wonderful for Shark Tank has a Vortic watch list goes on bunch of awesome entrepreneurs have our watches and talk about them um and so i think just organically by just like like removing the curtain and showing everyone what we do and just like showing up as you know american small business owners over here just trying to build a watch and maybe have a white picket fence someday um i think we've earned that to to have a bunch of uh of small business owners and entrepreneurs as as customers um, and they've earned it too, right? Like they are like, I, I want to work hard enough and grow my business or sell my business or whatever to be able to afford a three to $5,000 watch. And when they do that, they come to us instead of Rolex, which is really the other brand you think of when you're like, I made it, I'm going to buy a Rolex. So that's most of our customers. And then, yeah, I mean, we, we have a ton of, um, especially military veterans, especially high ranking officers that own our military edition, which is uh, this watch. So this pocket watch that's on my wrist, this pocket watch was called the Master Navigator's Watch. Mm -hmm. And it was flown on all the B bombers in World War II. Um, and we only make 50 of them a year and they come out on Veterans Day and 10% uh, roughly of the, of the proceeds go to um, that school we talked about, the Veterans Watchmaker Initiative. And so we have a, a, an amazing following um, of people that, who, uh, who have served or are somehow military affiliated um, that really want to buy that watch or already own it. Um, and the list goes on. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, our, we we do have your traditional watch collectors who I mean, we have one one person that has over fifty of our watches. <laughs> um, we we have, I mean, 
I would say 40% of our customers buy a second watch within the, the first two years of owning their first watch from Vortic. Um, and so we have like a really strong following of, of watch guys is what I call them. Just people that just love watches and love supporting people that make watches. Um, so yeah, it's, it's broad, but I'm, I'm proud to say, I think the majority of our customers and really our target demographic are, are entrepreneurs and small business owners in many ways. Nice. So let's just keep spinning on, on, on that. So if you're, if you're communicating, you're talking to them, right? You're telling the story and you're talking about military, you're talking about the railroad, you're talking about the, the bombers, you're talking about like all the history that goes into like your product and your services. But again, you have overcame so many different hurdles, like, you know, figuring out how to break past that safety thing, figuring out how to overcome like the lawsuit. And I'm an entrepreneur and I'm hearing all this. What words of wisdom would you give me to help me to continue on my path and my journey? Um, so I, I heard a quote recently and it's a quote from a poet. And so I will inherently botch it because I am not a poet. Um, but, um, it's, uh, the poet's name is Adam in Q and he said, I'm living by the beach and I never see the ocean. And what that means, and I lost my shit when he said that, and I'm getting emotional now just thinking about it because um, I've been advised that I should feel a lot more gratitude for how far I've come and all the work that I've done and we've done. Um, but as discussed, I feel strongly about how I need to keep looking forward and my goals are massive as compared to where I am right now. Mm -hmm. But when you look back and you look at what you've built and I try to think for a second, look at what I've done, you know, look at all these jobs that exist because of me and of us and me and Tyler having those hard conversations to figure it out so we can employ an amazing team and build the coolest watch on planet earth. Like you have to periodically look backwards and think about all the awesome stuff that you did yesterday and last week and last month and last year. So that you can just give yourself that perspective of, you know, just be proud of yourself for a minute. And that's okay. A lot of people tell us we shouldn't feel that, or at least that's what we perceive as entrepreneurs is we shouldn't look backwards. We should be forward looking all the time, go make money. Right. But like, it's, we are so blessed. I am so lucky that I get to wake up every day and do whatever the hell I want. And I am so grateful for that. Um, and so my current journey on that, after I heard that quote, I was finally inspired to actually use one of the four or five gratitude journals that I recently purchased. Um, and I started doing a really quick, it's called the five minute journal. It's really inexpensive. And just for five minutes, you talk about gratitude and where you come from and what you're grateful for. And you just write all that down once a day. And that has created an insane inflection point in my life recently, um, where I feel better about looking backwards and being proud of myself and being proud of my team and my family. Um, and massive change has come from that and will come from that. So um, I would highly encourage 
any entrepreneur listening to this to take a deep breath, think about how awesome it is, whatever you're doing, and just sit with that for a minute and see how that feels. And if it feels good, do it again, <laughs> because it works for me. Yeah, I mean, that's hella, like, inspirational and motivational at the same time. So, I mean, on that note, I mean, how does someone get in contact with you or, or find the watches? And, I mean, where are you on social media right now? So, Vortic Watch Company is vorticwatches.com, V is in Victor, O-R-T-I-C, watches.com. My email address is the best way to get to me. Um, and that's RT, like Robert Thomas, at vorticwatches.com. And then you can find me on Instagram. LinkedIn, et cetera, um, which is just R T Custer, C U S T E R. Nice, nice. So I got a couple bonus questions for you before we close out. Um, one of them is about the name of the company. Like it's it's a it's an unusual name. So I want you to kind of talk about the etymology of the word and like how did you guys come up with that title? Totally. So the I kind of referenced it and then danced around it and moved on, but the um the original origin story of Vortic is um Tyler and I are playing golf. Um, he, uh, he wears a watch when he plays golf, which I think is insane. I can't have anything on my wrists or my hands while I'm playing. It just, it gets in the way. Um, and so he's wearing a watch. He takes his swing on the first hole and just shanks it way off into the driving range. It's one of the worst shots I've seen him take. He's a great golfer. And so it was very rare that I see him hit a really bad shot. And he takes his watch off and he says something about how his watch is just a little too loose. And it was like, you know, falling off his wrist, wrist as he swung. And I was like, well, that's, that's a bullshit excuse. You just did a really bad shot. The watch had nothing to do with it. But that created this conversation for the whole rest of the golf round of like, how could we solve that problem? I wonder if we could invent a watch that you turned a dial or something on the watch and it tightened the band around your wrist in tiny little increments, making what we called the perfect fit standard. And that is if you're familiar with BOA technologies, like the ski boots and golf shoes that you just turn a little knob and it tightens the laces of, of the boots around your, uh, your foot. Um, we invented that for watches and we still own the patent. Um, and that's where it comes from is vortex and TikTok. Um, so your vortex, like you're turning something. And then obviously for watches, TikTok, that's vortic making the perfect fit standard, which our first tagline that we pitched to investors um, way, way, way back when we were in college. Um, and we were advised by those you know, first potential investors and the patent attorney we were working with, like, hey, this is a really cool idea, but it's going to cost like a million dollars to figure out how to make this. Like, do you even know what you're getting yourself into? And we were like, nope, what should we do instead? And they were like, what if you just came up with like something that's easier to make that you could like build a brand on and then maybe circle back to that idea at some point later? And that's what we did. And we had the pocket watch into wristwatch idea. That's what we launched with. We still called the company Vortec because we really like that name. And to your point, it's different, stands out in some ways. And now I say um, Vortex and TikTok, a beautiful clash of old and new, which is my way of taking that story and making it a lot shorter <laughs> for everyone in a pitch conversation. Um, and as we talked about, the, that second product idea ended up being much more difficult to make than we thought and was much more popular. I mean, people love the idea of taking a pocket watch, turning a wristwatch, and we just haven't had time to circle back to that first idea. And you know what? At this point, we might not because we've learned so much about the watch industry. There's other ways to solve that problem. It was cool in 2011 when we had the idea, but now we got all kinds of other ideas that are a lot more interesting to us right now. Nice. 
Nice. A hell of an answer. So going into like, um, I think I'm going to switch it up because I usually have like my signature question, but being that you're a descendant of Custard himself, <laughs> right? This question is like, if it was possible for you to spend 24 hours with your great-great-great-grandfather, like, what would you think that conversation with you and him would be like, considering his legacy and considering the legacy that you're creating today? So I am a seventh cousin of General Custer. Um, so my, like, great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was his, I don't know, uncle, brother, something like that, right? Um, but... Let's pretend I was actually a descendant of him because I love this question. Um, if I could hang out with General George Armstrong, um, I would I would try to spend the entire time talking about leadership. Uh-huh. Um, I've read a couple books about him. My dad has one of the largest collections of Custer books and and all that stuff, which. I will also inherit, thanks, uh, inherit, um, thanks, Dad. We're going to have to build a museum for all these books. It's going to be awesome. Um, and the story is interesting, and the story is controversial, actually, um, the story of Custer and Custer's last stand and all that stuff. And there's so many theories about what happened and was he actually a good leader and, and all that kind of stuff. And he was getting challenged left and right, like politically, like there's some people that believe that if he wouldn't have died in the battlefield um, at Custer's last stand, he would have went on to be president of the United States. There's, there's a huge you know, uh, amount of people that, that believe that. There's lots of books about it. And then there's also people that, that called him not very nice names and said he was not a good person. And you feel that in all politics and all generals, right? You have your believers and your non-believers. <laughs> um, and what I would want to know is, you know, like how, how did he become the leader that he is um, or was? How did he get to general status? How did he get his, his you know, um, soldiers to go to battle for him and with him? Um, and, you know, just try to get some, some nuggets and some pro tips of like, especially back then, like there was no social media. There was like, like right now I'm posting a reel a day to try to get more followers and try to get people to know who I am and build my personal brand. Your personal branding wasn't a thing in <laughs> that time. Um, but he did it, you know, like there's thousands of books published about him, even though people didn't have a whole lot of access to him. So he must've been pretty cool. Um, I think. And so, yeah, I would just, I would just try to figure out like, what's the secret? What's the secret to that leadership? Um, instead of, cause I, I like the conversation of leadership instead of management. Right. And to be a good leader, you know, what does that mean to, to someone like him? Wow. Yeah, definitely. It's one of those things. I mean, being that you're a timeless boss, I mean, it's one of those things that if, if time travel does become relevant, then the opportunity by all means should come through you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so going into closing, um, I, I would like to give you opportunity to, to interview me, ask me a question. You're the host of boss and cage. The microphone is yours. The show is yours. What questions do you have for me? Um, I was going to ask about your name. You told me, you know, offline, um, the story of, of SA. I appreciate that. Um, I'd like you to tell me and, and us just about maybe one or two of the favorite things that you have behind you. You have an awesome background, a lot of stuff going on, and I'm sure there's some stories. I like to call things like that conversation pieces. Mm. So what, what conversation pieces are behind you right now? 
Um, I'll, I'll say to my right, maybe your left, the the Guinness record. Um, being a participant in that was was cool. definitely an interesting story behind that because originally I heard about it and I was like, all right, it's cool. And then I was like, I wasn't even on the speaking circuit at the time. And then fast forward, I became a speaker and had opportunity to speak at the event and was actually a contributor to getting the that Guinness record as well. So that's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah, I appreciate that. Cool. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, and I, yeah. Well, I I'm just kind of starting my journey down that path too. I really want to be a speaker. I, I had my first little taste of it recently. I hosted a, a mastermind called Fast Foundations where we, nice. we taught, a, taught a bunch of other people like us and entrepreneurs how to, you know, just do the thing, right? Be entrepreneurs. Um, and and I got to speak to that group and it was super fun. So um, if I want to be a speaker and get on more stages like you have, um, what do I do? Well, it's, it's, it's kind of, I would say your path, right? I mean, for you, your brand is essentially your path. I mean, you're, you're, you're creating watches, you're creating this kick-ass thing. So really and truly starting off a podcast is like you're doing is really good. And then after that is kind of leading into talking on stages and asking people like the, every time you do a podcast at the end of every single episode, ask them, do they know anyone that's looking for somebody to speak on this topic, to speak on the stage outside of podcasting? And there's a bunch of different meet, you know, meetup groups and essentially a, you know, for every target niche, like I'm sure there's a target niche for watches that where people just meet up and talk about watches. People just meet up and talk about lizards. People meet up and talk about speaking as well. So getting into those circles sooner than later would definitely be more effective. Shout out to the Lizards Anonymous group of San Francisco. <laughs> if that's a thing. It probably is. I officially gave them a shout out. <laughs> no, that's such great advice. I really appreciate that. It's um you know, that now that I've been doing these reels, mm-hmm. I keep getting, you know, other reels that people show me. It's like, hey, you should do this. And the one that I was thinking about doing today is like something to the effect of like, you got to talk about your business for people to know about your business. You got to talk about your business. So it's just that, right? It's like, if you if you want something, you got to put it out there. You got to manifest it. You got to talk about it. If no one else knows you want it, then it's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got a hell of a story, too. So, I mean, like I see, it's not a, a rags to riches story, but it's kind of like Big Brother tried to kick my ass. I, you know, I came out on top. I, I utilized their millions of dollars to market my stuff for the 15 minutes of fame. So, I mean, you have a story. You just have to package it in a format that way people are listening to you. And I mean, they are listening to you now. And it's like, oh, my God, I want more. I want to like, how did you guys do it? Why are you guys doing it? And you also overcame that and you, you made a Kickstarter. And so it's like all these components of your puzzle becomes your brand. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that was, that's, that's really why I wanted to be on a bunch of podcasts was really just for the practice. You know, obviously, it's great marketing. And hopefully someone listening to this will go to vortexwatches.com and buy a watch, you know, but um, at worst, you know, I, I feel like this is just fantastic practice. And I get to meet awesome humans like you, I say. Thanks so much for having me. Well, pleasure was all mine. I mean, I definitely thank you for taking time out your busy schedule today. And, and I mean, hopefully you got a solid mountain view out in Colorado. And, and I, I wish you the best. Thank you, sir. Talk to you soon, I'm sure. Great. S.A. Grant, over and out. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Boss Uncaged. I hope you got some helpful insight and clarity to the diverse approach on your journey to becoming an uncaged trailblazer. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. If this podcast has helped you or you have any additional questions, reach out and let me know. Email me at ask at sagrant.com or drop me your thoughts via a call or text at 762-233-BOSS. 
That's 762-233-2677. I would love to hear from you. Remember, to become a boss in cage, you have to release your inner beast. S.A. Grant, signing off. Listeners of Boss on Cage are invited to download a free copy of our host, S.A. Grant's insightful ebook, Become an Uncaged Trailblazer. Learn how to release your primal success in 15 minutes a day. Download now at www.bossuncaged.com forward slash free book.